Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Um, so, without further ado, allow me to introduce uh, our interlocutor. Interlocutor? Interlocutor? I never really know what how to that? pronounce that. How, do you say, how does that word? How does that word you just read? Whatever you say, I didn't sign up for that. It's a word that you read, but you never hear people saying, right? Interlocutor? Interlocutor? I don't know, whatever. Moderator, maybe? Bill, yeah. 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 Uh, Bill Plasky has been an LA Times columnist since 1996. I'm sure you guys have heard of him. Uh, he's been named National Sports Columnist of the Year seven times by the Associated Press and twice by the Society of Professional Journalists and National Headliner Awards. He is the author of five books, including a collection of his columns entitled Plasky, Good Sports, Spoil Sports, Foul Ball, and Oddballs. Uh, Plasky is also a panelist on the popular ESPN uh, daily talk show Around the Horn. Uh, yeah, Jackie Mack. Uh, for his community service, he has been named Man of the Year by the Los Angeles Big Brothers Big Sisters and has received a Pursuit of Justice Award from the California Women's Law Center. Uh, Plasky has appeared in a movie. Does anybody know which one? Boom! You watch the first two minutes too, huh? Give, give the man a Cupid doll. Um, a dramatic HBO series. Uh, luck. Luck. Boom! Inside. Inside. Uh, and in a crowning, yeah, and in a crowning cultural moment, he still does not quite understand the best part of the Bible. Uh, his name can be found in a rap song, "Females Welcome" by Asher Ross. That is the best thing ever. <laughs> They rhyme my name with Great Gatsby. Perfect, perfect rhyme. Um, Ray Bartholomew is the author of Pacific Rims and Two and Two, McSorley's My Dad and Me. He was the features editor at Grantland, and his work has also appeared in Slate, The New York Times, Chicago Reader, Deadspin, and other leading online and print publications. His stories have twice been honored in Best American Sports Writing Series. And last but not least, Jackie Mack is a television analyst for ESPN and a senior writer for ESPN.com. She has been covering basketball for more than three decades, beginning at the Boston Globe, where she was the first female sports columnist in the paper's history. Uh, she covered the National Basketball Association from 95 to 2000 for Sports Illustrated and has authored four books, including the New York Times bestsellers, When the Game Was Ours and Shaq Uncut. In 2010, uh, McMullen became the first ever female recipient of the Basketball Hall of Fame's Kirk Gowdy Media Award for Outstanding Contributions to Basketball. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Paschke, Ray Bartholomew, and Jackie McMullen. Thank you. I got, the, I got the long bio, but don't worry. I'm not going to do any of the talking with these guys show. Anyway, uh, yeah, I've been here in town 31 years and um, done a lot of Lakers and Clippers and UCLA basketball. I love this book because it's really been a part of my life. It kind of it's like an oral history of my life in, as, as I view basketball. It's got everything in here. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. It's it's got and it's and I thought at first when I heard basketball love story, I thought okay, it's going to be another one of those books just about Shaq and Kobe and, and Michael Jordan. But no, it's it's the old time basketball. It's the gambling in basketball. It's the racism in basketball. It's women in basketball. It's it's college basketball. 
it's a, it's a chapter for every for everyone, everything. You can you don't need to read it start to finish. You just start. I just started when I when I read it. I stop and just grab the page and grab the section and grab it. It's tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous. I'm so honored to be here with you guys today. And I'll start with you, Rafe. What was in doing this book, what was the uh, was there anything that really struck you that you were surprised by? What's your favorite part of the book? Oh man, um, it's very hard to pick just one thing out of all this. It's, I, and I've, I've tried okay. and struggled to answer this before. Okay. Um, the easiest and quickest way to keep it moving, and it's true. I, I think I learning more about Spencer Haywood, uh, the the sort of one of the the great centers of the seventies. Um, that, you know, of course, as a, I knew of him, knew his name, knew a little bit about what his career had meant to uh, opening up uh, early entry and, and one and done or, you know, prep to pro players, depending on what the lead the rule was at the time. But to actually read his, uh, the way he talked about his life and the stories he told, I don't know, I, I came out loving the guy. Some of the stories were, were true. See, Rafe has an editor as a background. He, he's, a, he's a great editor, really good editor. And one of the great stories, which can now go untold because it's not true, when I was going through it, I said, Rafe, did you see this? He goes, yeah, so I looked that up, and not entirely true. What <laughs> story is it? Can you tell it? No, I can't tell that, but I can tell another story. Wait, 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 wait back up, back up, back up. It's not in the book. I, this is my rule. If it's not in the book, there's a reason it's not in the book. Okay. Wow. Really? You're gonna go after me? No, right I'm now. not. No, I'm not gonna do it. Rafe's dying to tell it. I okay. will talk a little bit out of school. Yeah. He's dying to talk out of school about this story. Go for it, Rafe. I don't. I don't remember what it was though. <laughs> right. there, there was 500 hours of interviews and, and thousands but of pages. There was one one Spencer Haywood story that I wanted to put in the book that I had read about in our research because you guys have been watching. I hope the the great film series it's on tonight. Yeah. are actually on opposite that. I should say that every yeah. it's like every week they have a chapter or this book is a chapter or two. Well, in this so book. the book and the film are quite different. And if you're watching the film and you've read some of the book, you'll 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 know that it's a little bit different, but culled from the same interviews. And um, so, so we added some things to yeah. our book, some additional interviews, and just some additional information that we thought would, you know, it's, when you're doing a great film and the film is spectacular, Dan Corus is a genius. But if you have a hole, you play some really snappy music and you cut away. If you're in doing an oral history, you have a cavernous hole. And so we had to go do some additional reporting. But there was one story, um, and this really isn't in the book, but I just want to share it with you because that's what we do here. So Spencer Hayward, there was this amazing story about Spencer Hayward, some of you may have ever played for the Lakers at one point. And it was in the throes of his very, very serious drug use, which he has chronicled and talked yeah. about, and some of that's in the book. Um, and there was this amazing story about how he hired a hitman to take out Paul Westhead. <laughs> no, no, oh no, no, So now Paul Westhead was the coach before everything went going and everything got great. That story's not in the book? Well, because here's why. Here's why. So I know Spencer pretty well, and I saw him, and I said, so we're doing this book, and I remember this story. The story that it was it was printed in his own book that he did this, he hired a hitman, um, and they went to Paul Westhead's house, and then they got there, and he lost his nerve, and apparently so did this hitman, so they just slashed Paul Westhead's Oh my God! So that's like an incredible story. That's an right? incredible story. Yeah, but it's not true. <laughs> so, so when I asked Spencer about it, he said, "Yeah, that was a low moment in my life." I said.
said, well, of course it was. You hired a hitman. You should be in prison. And he said, yeah, no. The low moment was when I said that's what I did. Oh, <laughs> my God. So well, go. well, Jack, i got to ask you, because you did a lot of the interviews, and it was incredible right. interviews. Who was the hardest person to get a hold of? Tell us tell us a backstory of how many phone, who's, who took well, the most phone calls. Um, or the, I'm going to say Scotty Pippen, because Scotty Pippen was not interviewed for the film. Really? And No. And... Uh, and so we're doing a chapter on Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and Scottie Pippen is his right-hand man, and Scottie Pippen to me is such a fascinating figure because uh, I think he's going to go down as one of the most underrated superstars ever because he was next to Michael and because of one famous incident, which if you're a really hardcore basketball fan, you remember. Uh, it's a postseason. Everybody here's uh, nodding. There's a lot of hardcore right, basketball. So Everybody knows what happened. I'll retell the story yeah. in, in shortened version. that um, Michael Jordan's playing baseball in Birmingham, and by the way, I was in Birmingham with him. Wow. At, right, right about this time, and right. So they're, 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 the uh, Bulls are in the playoffs. They're going to run a last-second shot, and of course, it should be Scottie Pippen. And Phil Jackson runs the play for Tony Kukoc. And yeah, I know you're still upset. I am too. And this so, man is still <laughs> grieving that dude. Dude, get over no, it. It's been like 30 years. Now it's not. Kukoc hit the game winner. So the play, but Pippen refused to go back into the game, and. Pippen was such a team guy, you know this. I mean, he he was the most willing Robin to Jordan's Batman that it was very stunning that this was the position he took. And I remember asking him about it for years, and he, he just never, ever, ever, ever talked about it. So when we were talking about this chapter, we were like, let's give this a run. Yeah. You know, I, I'm on the jump with Scotty a fair amount, so I've gotten to know Scotty much better. So one day I said, hey, I really want to talk to you. And he said, okay. Nope, didn't happen. Then I said, all right, so I'm going to call you next Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't pick up the phone. So I'm in Iowa doing a speaking engagement at college, and I'm at this luncheon with the president and all the dignitaries, and my phone rings. It's Scotty Pippen. Oh, that's so tremendous. I turned to the president. I said, do you know who Scotty Pippen is? He said, yes. I said, thank God. Can you just excuse me for 10 minutes? <laughs> and then we finally got the interview with Scotty. You did the interview in like a hallway or something? In the hallway of the restaurant. How did you tape it? With the, I mean, how did you um, I borrowed a napkin. Come on, you remember those days. You really did it on a napkin? Wow. I did. Wow. I did. Because I had nothing else. And uh, But the thing that he said, and, and it, I thought it validated him, and I don't know how, I mean, he will go down in history very, this is like his, when his obituary is written, this will be in, I hope it's in the third paragraph, not the second paragraph. But he said, you know what? I felt that Phil showed me up. And he was trying to make a point that he didn't need to make. If I could do it over, I would do it differently. But I thought what he did was unfair. And you know what? I agree with him. I agree with him. I don't know if you guys So anyway, that's... Oh, wow. That was, so, yeah, that was the hardest one because it was on a napkin in the hallway. And maybe I'd had a glass of wine that day, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rafe, I'll go to you you mentioned Scottie Pippen. Who's your greatest player ever? Uh, Michael Jordan for me. That's not hard. I know. It's not I know. hard? Not hard for me to say so, no. Really? Better than LeBron? Yes. Have you ever heard of this guy named Bill Russell? <laughs> oh, okay. Give it, all right. Well, give your argument for, for uh, especially in this town now. 11 and 13? Drop the mic. <laughs> well, give your argument for Jordan over, over LeBron. Um, besides the six. Besides six. Besides six, yes. I, I well, there is no besides six. Well, I, I, that 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 is probably true, yes. Um, but also just the I, I, well, look, I, I'm 36 years old. I'm born in 1982. Um, watched them, watched the Bulls play the Knicks in in every one of those series. Right. Watched Charles Smith blow a bunch of layups and get blocked 15 times. Um, watched, yeah, and 
there was a, this sense of inevitability with Michael Jordan that I don't that I haven't seen with any other athlete really. That it just he was going to win, and obviously people like people make the valid point that. Well, if you look back earlier in his career, before he started winning, he, he, he was losing. It's not like it took seven years to get to the point where he was winning titles. But once he ascended to that level, um, yeah, I mean, there, there was just nothing like it. And maybe, maybe that has to do with my age at the time, but I know a lot of people older than me who feel the exact same way. So let me take a stab at Bill Russell, right? Well, actually, I'll just take a stab at Jordan and LeBron. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Do I have to look yeah, this up? Okay. Here. So... This is the way I would describe Michael Jordan, because I covered him. If you were down and out, he would walk, stand over you and crush your larynx. He was like Francis Underwood. Classic car just jumped the shark, by the way, okay. but that's just my opinion. But crush your larynx. Um, I always use this comparison with Bird and McHale, because they were teammates, and McHale had the skills to be one of the greatest ever, and he will go down, and obviously he's a first battle Hall of Famer, but I think he could have been one of the greatest ever, but the difference between Bird and McHale was, the guy was down, Bird would look at Jordan and say, yeah, I'm crushing his larynx too. And McHale would say, oh, this dude's had enough, I'm going to help him up. Okay? And so I would say this, LeBron James is the most dominant player that ever lived, but Michael Jordan is the, is the biggest killer that I've ever seen. Because he needed, wanted, craved the option to close the deal, whereas LeBron was content to facilitate that opportunity. That doesn't make him a bad player. I just think that I never saw another killer like Michael Jordan. Bird was close, but Bird wasn't as good as Jordan. Yeah, that's, and, and I mean, my, my feeling that Jordan is the greatest really only grew through working on this book and right. reading what, really? reading through the transcripts and what all of, now, the, 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 interview, the interviewees for this book skew older, so it makes some sense that you kind of expect them to, to be a little bi more bi biased towards Jordan or, or older players. Um, and in fact, man, I think there are more people in these interviews who cite Russell or Wilt as the greatest ever than yes. LeBron, which is sort of shows you how, how old is he was. But just the, the, the breathless way that people describe Michael Jordan, some sure. of the things that they saw him do on the court, some of these, the, 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 the little facts about how much he played also, and then not missing a game for the last, for, throughout the entire last three-peat right. for the Bulls. Although, and, although LeBron has proven to be just as durable, I would have to say. I have a count all, all right, Jackie Mack, you deal with him all the time. Who's best, to, how do you, who's best to deal with, Jordan or LeBron? As far as, as a reporter, who gave better answers, who was more accessible, who was more available, who was... Different times, though, Bill, so different times. So LeBron, um, Christine's here, my NBA editor, and LeBron and I don't do particularly well. So I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I seem to be on the other side of LeBron a lot. He has he has the universe, and you're either in or you're out. And I'm out, and I'm good with that. Although he's respectful to me, I when I talk with him, it's always respectful. We just don't get very far. You know, I can remember a time um, in the '80s, mid '80s, where the the, the Bulls and the and the uh, Celtics are playing in the playoffs. It's an off day. They used to work out in this this facility in Deerfield, Illinois. It was like there were people working out next to Michael Jordan, like he's lifting weights and some guys like on the triple going, hey, <laughs> like that would never happen now. But, and so I remember going there on an off day and uh, there was not one member of the Chicago media there because it was an off day. Wow. And so I'm sitting there talking to Michael Jordan by myself for 25 minutes. So I'm a little biased in terms of spending time with him, understanding his psyche, appreciating 
where he came from. He was an um, uncompromising taskmaster, sometimes to the detriment of his teammates, which is also something that LeBron shares, and I think the great ones do. I mean, Larry Bird called all his teammates sissies. You remember that after? Mm -hmm. So I think the great ones demand that of, uh, I mean, I would ar argue that Irvin is doing this right now with the Lakers. Him hauling Luke in there and chewing him out. You know, he not a good look. Of, it's not a good look. I wrote a column about that. Right. With that no, right. So when I did a book with Irvin and Larry, um, I had to be in Irvin's home to do these interviews. Of course, it was three times out of four whether he was actually going to be there or not. <laughs> he forgets. One time I was on a plane going to Dana Point to interview him, and his agent called me. The, like, the doors are closed. He's like, are you on the plane? I said, of course I'm on the plane. We're leaving in three minutes. He said, get off the plane. He's in Singapore. So, oh. you know, that's Irvin. Irvin's a little, but when you get... You need to get off the plane. But you, I did. I got off. And I think this comes through in the book. You're, you're in the center. And he, he's just one of the most amazing people I've ever been around. So genuine in his kindness and in his... You, you know Irvin, right? Oh, yeah. He's, so we, yeah he's, no, but he, like he can... He, can, he, can, well, he came after the, after the whole story broke about him and Luke. Him scolding Luke, telling Luke to sit down, don't don't interrupt me, cursing Luke. It was all written about, and Irvin kind of disappeared. Where well, I'm standing in the hallway at Staples Center about three days later, and he comes up to me out of nowhere, and he's never in that hallway before the games. Right. And he's there, and I know what he wants to do. He wants to make nice and let me and my and my two LA Times colleagues. He wants to spread the word that hey, he did what he had to do. He wanted to get his message across, and he's so engaging. When you talk to him, he's just so yeah, incredibly. Yeah, he stole your wallet. He's, your he's so warm. So he gets done, and one of my colleagues says, "So, are you still going to rip him?" I said, "God, it's hard, but I have to." He said, "But it's it's really hard because yeah, he's like and, that." He's really good that way. And and when I was doing this book with him, his brothers, you know, he was running the company, and his brothers were working for him. And one of the days, I was in there in the morning. I, I was sitting with Cookie, and I was interviewing her, and Erd was in the other mm -hmm. room doing some business with his brother, and. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. The language, not like not bad language, just vicious language. Not not swearing so much. It's just hard, loud, confrontational dialogue. And then at the end of it was like, "You're fired." And then when he came back in later, I said, "Did you just fire your brother?" He said, "Yeah, I did." So he's really uncompromising in what he expects. Well, he he says he says, "Bill, you gotta understand. There's Irvin, then there's Buck." And he right. says, "When I'm Buck, I tell I get." I want to talk about talk about you, Rafe. This your basketball cred to me, and I know you've got a ton of it. Really shown through in your dedication page. You thanked the Philippines for showing me what it means to love basketball. Did you play basketball in the Philippines? Yeah, uh, wow. I, mean, I, I was not brought there to play basketball. I was not an import. Um, but um, I, you this know, is my I, trading card. <sighs> Uh, if you if you happen to be in uh, Boracay, which is in a, like a resort island there, uh, in 2006 to 2009, you might be able to catch a replay of me playing in like as a as an import in a local tournament. Awesome. Uh, it was oh, it was one of the best weeks of my life. They they, they flew us down and, and put us on resort teams, basically like the Catskills used to be sure. uh, for for basketball players here and and. I was teamed up with a guy who was a reserve on one of the pro teams, and we were the two ringers for our for the team for the team full of guys who worked at the resort. Um, but anyway, um, so basketball is big in the Philippines. Yeah, I mean, basketball brought me to the Philippines. Um, it and I went there straight after college to 
kind of learn about the, the role that the sport plays in the country, which is outsized. I mean, there's a lot of people here tonight who I've met through the country or in the country in some cases, and, and I still get to go back. And, and when I say that it taught me, that the being there taught me what it means to love the game, I really am serious. That, that's also what brought me there, I think, in the first place, the idea that a country I'd never been to and, and frankly didn't know a whole lot about when I first moved there, uh, could, you know, was, was filled with, with millions of people who knew everything about the NBA, everything about their local league. And this, this was at a time when even, even in 2005, when I first went, it was still not the easy, they, they were just starting to get widespread cable satellite in the country. But, but you talk to people who have stories of going every week to a market to buy Betamax tapes of whatever the, wow. the, the week's NBA games were for, for, for decades. Um, and, and also just seeing the, the lengths that people go to to play, to play the game it would, is something from an American perspective you would never dream of, of playing, playing in bare feet, playing in flip-flops, playing on dirt courts, playing on you know, building your own basket, things that are... Uh, now it's, it's, it's funny because when I go back and see those things, it's like... You know, any other, I'm so used to it that it doesn't even register, but that passion uh, is just unbelievable and really special. Well, that gets me to my next point, basketball, a love story, it's called. Why, do we, why is it a love story? Why do people, I'll start with you, Jackie, back, but why, and you see this in the book, it comes through time and time again. Why do people love, what is it about basketball that makes people love it like they love it? So, about I, can the sport? You, I can tell you why I love it, because I can play it by myself. You know, it's a sport that all you need is a ball and a hoop. You can pretend, you know, and you see it in the film and a little less so in the book, I would say, but I did it. I'm sure you did it. Don't, Mullen's coming down. They move her left. They forgot she's left-handed. Five, four, three. And then it clanks when you go, but she got the rebound. Oh, score, you win, you know. And all of us, like, that play the game. That I played the game up until I was, this is going to tell you how old I am. I stopped playing a while ago. I, I played till I was 54 years old because I couldn't stop playing. Once I started, I started very late, but I couldn't stop playing. So what is it? But once you're not alone, when you're, what is it about a team that makes you love well, it? Well, every anyone that's ever been on a team knows what that's about. That's just like sharing with someone when when you do something great, and it doesn't have to be you that ends up making the basket pass. It's more fun sometimes to block the shot or to give the you know the, the three-quarter Kevin Love outlet pass or. Or maybe you maybe you just set a weak side screen and some some woman in my case just falls to the floor and you're like too bad you know whatever it is. Well, that's it's just wonderful, Jim. Yeah. 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 Tell how you crush people. That's well, very. Well, you've heard me twice say point the elbow. Yeah. Well, so I just think it's. Um, so is this opposed to baseball and football? Well, so baseball, sports? right? What's the, what is the difference? Well, yeah, so I mean, why is why do people love this? Okay, so baseball is, you know, baseball to me is it's just slow. There's no beginning and end. It goes on for days and days. The basketball is a beginning and end. It's fast-paced, but it's not quite as violent as football. It's, um, I, I think it's poetry in motion. And I, I think we talk about that a lot, different things um, that you can do with a basketball that, um, and the game is still evolving. You know, the, now the three-point shot, with the game, look at the game now as opposed to 40 years ago. Now, I guess that's true with most sports except for baseball. I mean, we can talk about the DH and the shift, but beyond that, I don't know that we can. So there's just a passion about the game. When you meet someone that loves basketball, I'm looking at you, Kevin. Like I can I, tell all these folks here. Yeah, like a, you love you can tell basketball. You they're transfixed by and, you. And you but, but you just, right, you just, like, 
like the best sound, I always thought when I was a kid, the best sound in the world was like, I used to go to the Cape and we'd ride our bikes over the wooden bridge and it would go, you know that sound when you ride over a bridge? Like that's the best sound in the whole world. As a kid, I was already a rider, but I didn't know it, right? And then I shot a basketball and it went, whoosh. And I'm like, okay now. <laughs> that's the best sound in the world. Ray, your love? Oh, well, it's similar. I, I mean, it, it really, for me, it, it does also come through playing. You know, uh, I started playing at an early age. My father had played in high school and college and, and brought me into the sport pretty early. Um, and then I was lucky enough in New York to, to be surrounded in, in a truly basketball hotbed. You know, and it, like maybe the city isn't quite producing NBA talent like it once did. It definitely isn't Rafe. I know that. Shoot. But the Knicks you know, snake Rafe. Hey. <laughs> I don't, I'm so sick of hearing about the Knicks. Don't please don't bring anyway. Up. Okay. No, there I, is some Knicks in here, I, regrettably I, so. I'm yeah. trying to bring up a, uh, a a very beloved Laker named Smush Parker. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Who uh, you know who I grew up playing with. He he. Uh, you played with Smush Parker. Out of the oh, same yes. rec center. Very I used to true. like. I, I've got pictures of us together holding the 1994. Why is it that not in the dedication page? <laughs> I thought about it, but I was. I, so the, the 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 coach who I mentioned in there was our coach Ray Pagan. Okay. Uh, was was the guy who put me on the team with Smush and a bunch of other local guys and um, you know I mean I still and and that's actually one of the things to talk about the love of the game that that for me working on the book and, and watching the film rereading it that always sticks out to me it's and, and you know when we do the publicity for the book we we talk about the sort of like the stories and the anecdotes that are the most newsworthy but the stuff that that I love most about it really is are, are those parts where. The, these great players and coaches and people who really built the game are talking about what it means to them and it sounds like it, they're, they're describing my feelings exactly like right. Larry Brown That's talking cool. about the, the Chuck Daly story where Chuck Daly tells him you're not going to know what it really means to, to win this championship or to feel that joy until sometime years down the line you're driving down the street driving down the street and all of a sudden you get this big ass smile on your right. face and the guy in the car across from you is looking at you like what the hell is wrong with this what is this idiot laughing about like i can i mean like looking at looking around this room seeing people like my friend kenny who i haven't seen in years i i can get that smile thinking about watching him shoot from like 35 feet i mean my i, I texted a friend that kenny was coming and he's like kenny OG Steph Curry range, you know, and like. Where's Kenny? Steph, Kenny, where are you at? Kenny. Is that true, Kenny? No, we had our bonus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's uh, the thing. It doesn't matter what level you play on, right? It doesn't matter. Like some of the, my my best memories from basketball are playing with. I played Tuesday nights and Sunday mornings with a bunch of women that most played high school and college, and. Uh, the ones you didn't flatten. The ones I didn't. Well, some of them flattened me too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, broke my thumb, and, but like it doesn't matter. If you want to stay championship, if you played on a college team, that's not it. So maybe that's why two basketball is special. You don't, you can just get, you don't even need 10 people. It's better if you have 10 people. But sometimes you have to play full court four and four. How many of us have done that, right? And and because that's what you got, so you roll with it. And just, you're sweaty and you're tired and, and you know, Gina finally didn't travel and made a winning basket and we had to travel on her and like, whoever it is, it doesn't mean, you know. And so all those things like that's... I miss it so much. I can't play basketball anymore. I have so many health issues because of basketball, but I don't feel like a complete person anymore because I can't play basketball. That's so true. Reading this book, it's like reading 400 pages of 14-year-olds talking about their first love. No, it, it, it is. I mean, you can tell the love just, and you can hear them, their voices, right? 
I mean, who wouldn't want to read this book? Read, read, you guys, was, well, you you guys were so into it. <laughs> you got to like basketball. All right, so Smush Parker. <laughs> you, you think Smush. You think Kobe. There's a, there's a, thank goodness there's a chapter in here about, of course, Kobe and Shaq. All right. Jackie, Kobe or Shaq? Right now. Like, Kobe, which one? Which is just, you could, back back when I covered him, we all, we all had to make a choice. We made our choices. We, ride, we had to ride or die with it. Kobe so or Shaq? Were, you were a Kobe guy, right? No, I was a Shaq guy. And then I became Kobe guy later on, but <laughs> when Shaq left town, self-preservation. Yeah, hey, Kobe, he's like, oh, now you want to talk to me? Yeah. I was a Shaq guy. Who were you? Well, I guess I was a Shaq guy too. I did his book, so I'm gonna say I was a Shaq guy. But I mean, Shaq was. What and Shaq. why? Why were you a Shaq guy? What's the well, difference so, yeah. between the two? So Shaq was a better teammate, always. Uh, you know how to include people. You, he, he wanted to be the alpha. Kobe was the tireless worker, you know, really had a right to be mad at Shaq, who was showing up an hour before the game with two Big Macs in his bag. I get that. All that's true. Um, but so then it, then it comes down to, like, basketball is, was Kobe's life. It was never Shaq's life. It was fair to criticize him for that because he was doing commercials and movies and making gold and platinum records as a rapper, terrible rapper, sorry Shaq. But he wanted to experience life and within that wanted to love basketball. Kobe could not understand that, and I understand his frustration. It was all about one thing to Kobe. He was single-minded to the point where I think sometimes it was unhealthy and a bit dangerous, and perhaps history can agree with me there. Who do you think right now in their in their post-basketball career, all they both accomplished, right, who's, who's more beloved? Oh, and it's, I, and it's Shaq. It's Shaq. It's, yeah, no question. It's, Shaq. it's no question it's Shaq. Well, I mean, what about the nicknames? They're so smart and so funny. Like, he would just come up with them. He's... he's Shaq, oh, like uh, my favorite one. Of, my favorite one. One year, he, he called himself the Big Deporter because he beat, because he beat four different foreign centers on the way to the NBA Finals. It was Lottie, and it was it was Sabonis. Who, who, all right, who, who remembers this? Lottie Sabonis. Um, oh, Australian. Oh yeah. Of um. Oh, Luke Longley. Luke Longley. Yeah, Luke Longley. Yeah. That's right. Where was Longley then? He was Chicago. He was in. Yeah. All right. Oh. Be in the finals, but yeah. anyway. Hey, hey, I'm a <laughs> All right, Rafe, Kobe or Shaq? Mm. I mean, I didn't have to. I didn't have to pick pick one of them because I was too young to be covering them. But what do you do now? I will now. Um, no, I, I mean, because you got to pick, right? You got to pick. Nobody likes both of them. I like both of them. <laughs> For me, uh, I, I also prefer Shaq. Um, it's it, but both of them, both Kobe and Shaq. I fe I had this interesting sort of experience as a fan of them or a fan of the game, going through periods when I couldn't stand either of them, uh, sort of in the middles of their careers, probably just because of how dominant those Lakers teams were and, and how much I was rooting for somebody to knock them off, whether it was, you know, Iverson and the Sixers or the Kings when they were good. Um, but the, I find myself, uh, I find, as time went on, I, I sort of appreciated a much more just sort of how amazing Kobe was, just the way he approached the game, just the, 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 the completeness of his skills in terms of scoring a basketball uh, was, was just amazing. And then with Shaq, you look back, especially now you look at the way the game is played and you're just like, what the... How did someone like him come along, and what would happen if, if it ever is? Will it? Will that? Can it even happen? I mean, you probably yes. You look at 
Uh, I mean, he's not, he doesn't have the height. If you look at someone with the bulk of like Zion Williamson in, right. du in Duke, there are these just once in a generation size, force, speed, agility. Well, Joel Embiid. Yep. Joel Embiid, and he could shoot threes, which you know Shaq would have done if he had been if he was coming up now. He'd be jacking those things up all day long. <laughs> Shaq's just a delight to be around. And, and you know, Kobe yes, can be too. Kobe can be. He can pull the charm. He can really. They're both very intelligent people, and they're both incredibly successful in their post-playing careers. They and they both knew exactly what they wanted to do in their post-playing careers. And uh, I mean, I don't know. Can we? Which one's more successful? I don't even know how to choose that. Do you? Well, I think. I mean, Kobe's won an Academy Award and a. Right. And, but and, but and, Shaq's and, got like twenty companies. You don't even. Like most of us don't even know no. what Shaq's doing. He's got a car wash empire. He's got, no, I'm serious. I so when I wrote his book with him, the next year he had a Shack Summit, and everybody that was in business with him was invited to his home in Orlando, which I think he's since sold. And I was at this Shack Summit with him with these Fortune 500 companies, and I said, "Well, why is he?" He's like, "Well, because I'm I'm in partnership with them." Well, I didn't really? read that about that. He goes, "No, you didn't. That's right. You didn't read about it." So his portfolio was incredible. Well, so in this book, I think it's also very fascinating. You have a lot. There's a lot about the women's game. And the struggles of the women's game, and where the women's games come, and it's great—a great chapter about the Geno versus Pat Summit. Uh, you know, really compelling stuff. Women's basketball, the WNBA has not taken off the way people thought, and I think it should. Why is that? And is that fair? Should 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 people feel bad for not? Because because even a lot of the polls say a lot of women don't like WNBA right. as, 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 you know. Well, I think it's a mistake that it's in the summer, and I understand why they did that, but I think it's a mistake. I just do. And uh, they're incredible women, incredibly talented women. I think it's, I might be wrong. I do think it's starting to come. I remember asking David Stern after the Olympics in London, when the women just dominated, and Diane Trost said to me, so we dominated again, nobody even cares. We probably should have lost, we would have got more attention. How sad is that? That's sad. But true. Really, really true. she said that. Well, yeah, she said that. I think that's in the book, too, yeah. as I recall. And, uh, and that's very sad to me. And she's right. And so, you know, they pay more to, for these women to play overseas. They get Some of them get a million dollars to play overseas. And the maximum WNBA salary, I haven't checked the most recent, but it's... Around 150, 120. No, it's more than that now. I think, but it's up to, it's not, it's not 200 dollars Let's put it that way. So that's going to change. They, they're going to unionize. Um, I think they're going to make a stink here. But I remember asking David Stern, is where I was coming from. I called him from London when I was at the Olympics. And he said to me, go back and look at the w, uh, look at the NBA and how many years it took for the NBA to get some traction. It took a long, long time. He said, in my mind, the WNBA is the same way. All of a sudden, one day, it's going to happen. Well, you mentioned, that, that, that just kind of as an aside, you called David Stern from London. Do you have him on your, on your, on your speed dial? I do. But who, I, who do you, who's, the, who's the person we look at, if we look at your phone, who would be most amazed that you have on your speed dial? Or who's the person you wish the one person that's not on your speed dial? That's not in your contacts? That's not in my contacts? Yes. Like, for example, I've got Hank Aaron in my contacts. Okay. Okay. Which so <laughs> is kind of weird. Which is kind of weird. That's just kind of like, okay. that's kind of apropos of nothing is what I'm saying. Okay, so I got Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Shaq. Uh, you have, do you have Jordan? Yeah. All right, is there anybody you don't have that you wish sure. you had? Yeah, there's plenty. I don't have Oscar Robertson. I'd love to have Oscar on speed. I got Bill Russell, but that's like a mixed bag these days. But yeah, there's plenty I wish I had. 
I, my favorite one that I have is Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo. She's a great musician. I'm really excited about having her. So she texts me from time to time. That makes me a lot happier. All right, well, Rafe, what, what, what's your feeling about women's basketball? <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, Kenny and I, well, we... One Kenny's of the all over the place. Yeah, Kenny's, Are no, you in the book? Is Kenny in the book? Uh, he, he might, in, that, in, the, in the next volume, I That's think I'm going to find out some space. Um, we used to, we, we, one of, one of the places we met, I don't know if it was first there or another place playing in college, was, was as practice players for the women's basketball team at Northwestern University. Oh, really? Um, so the, That's what was that fun. like? That's very fun. Fun, shoot. I mean, we get to go use the gym, you know, get in the real field house, get, go through a practice with the women's team, uh, and, and also get these crazy assignments that we didn't, they didn't really prepare us that much, but like they had five minutes with the coach saying, okay, you're going to be, you know, the, the, the right, Paris, right. Yeah. You're going to be the, the, you know, you're going to be the, the big, the, the big, the big man, the, the, you know, the center, big yeah, that's right. that's the, the center for, for Wisconsin today. And here's what, you know, she's right-handed. I'm left-handed. I'm like, oh damn. Um, you know, she's <laughs> always going over left shoulder. So I'm like trying to both, you know, play decent, be worth, worth a damn on the court for the women to be playing against as well as playing a certain style that's going to uh, be, you know, like useful for them uh, scout, scout team-wise. But just, anyway, doing that, you, you just competing with, with really, really good women players, it's impossible to not develop all the, you know, I mean, you should respect it immediately without that, but, but actually experiencing it, it, there, it removes any kind of doubt or any of that, that sort of casual guy temptation that that exists out there in the world to say oh i could beat these girls Ooh. um you know like like i i have been certain i have been sealed better by women post players than any like big man i've, I've had to guard in my life they, they like they, that I, you just i just could not get around them um and, and, it, and it was all technique it was not like they were too big for me it was just like they, they it was it was impossible um for the WNBA. I was gonna. I, I, want, I wanted to ask you, and I, I, I can already poke some holes into why it would not work. But could they move towards? You know, when 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 it unionizes, since it's an NBA product, could they combine the unions? Could could the women try and get a percentage of the NBA's BRI? Uh, like like I know all right. like all they the reasons why. Have, I'm sure that's just what the league will say, right? They don't but you know, it. there is a real kinship among the men and women. Players, you know, so when I was oh, in yeah. London, so why not the men put their money where well, their mouth is? Well, it'll be interesting to see if they do. Like Kobe, actually, by the way, was one of the biggest supporters. Oh, he's huge at sports. They were man, like yeah. at every single, but in, in the Olympics, he was at every single game. There's a lot of guys like that. So, but the biggest champion of the WNBA, and the reason it still exists, is David Stern, without a doubt, because you know he said he became convinced that all the journalists were going to make sure it failed, and that he they would say to him, he'd say to them, well, are you um, why aren't you covering the WNBA? And he's They'd say, oh, well, it's a little bit of this, and we got a little bit of time left, and, and he would say to them, well, that's what they used to say to African-Americans and Jews in this country. Like, he used to say that to the journalists. Like, he, he was not going to rest until that thing got on its feet. And Adam Silver has been supportive, but not nearly with the same fervor that David Stern was. I mean, I think the Sparks are really important to the city, and I've, I've, I've written that. I mean, they don't get big crowds, but it's all about empowerment. I love to see little boys they're right. cheering for him. It's very cool. Yeah. Very well, you know, Ann Myers in the book says that the thing that's most frustrating to her, and for those of you who don't know, Ann Myers is one of the greatest players that ever lived. She played at UCLA. She was an Olympian. Um, played, tried out for the Indiana Pacers. Yeah. Almost, I don't know if we can say that she almost made the Pacers. Probably not. But she tried out for the Pacers. 
And she said to me that the, the most frustrating thing for her is when she goes and speaks to these group of young women, and uh, she'll say, who do you want to be when you grow up? And they say, LeBron James. And she's like, no, Candace Parker is the answer. Brittany Griner is the answer, not LeBron James. So we've got some work to do. Well, there's also college in here, which I love. There's, I mean, it's amazing. You would think, again, it's every level of basketball. Greatest college coach. And you better say John Wooden. <laughs> well, no, you're not, you're not going to say John Wooden, are you? I, well, here, I will. But So one of the things I learned <laughs> from researching this book was that Pete Newell, who no one knows, Cal Berkeley, I'm my niece goes to Cal Berkeley. Oh, Pete cool. Newell was the coach at Cal Berkeley. Not, not, not Kaylee. She's only in the seventh grade. Um, she is a genius, but like, not yeah, quite in college yet. But she, um, Pete Newell, his final eight games against John Wooden was... Eight no, wasn't he? Eight no. Just saying. I've, I've, I read it in the book. I, I read that in the book. That's why I read the book. It's interesting that, that they do a chapter on John Wooden, and bless their hearts, they get into the fact that Sam Gilbert and that John Wooden is unavoidable. And I'm really glad you all did. I'm really glad. Ray, were you involved in that part of the book? What, what was your opinion about, you know, kind of breaking... You kind of broke the uh, the little windshield around Wooden and, and talking about that. Well, we, I, you know, yeah, we, we we clearly just felt that you could. You, we, it was you're not allowed to ignore something like that, even if it uh, takes away from the, the the legacy or the legend or, uh, around Wooden. And um, I don't know. I mean, the 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 way that he just he describes it, not Wooden himself, but the way that Dale Brown, his assistant, went on to coach at LSU, talks about asking him, "Hey, what do you know about Sam Gilbert?" And, and Wooden says, well, you know, I'll tell you what we did. We noticed, I, I remember sitting there at a holiday game and seeing, leather. you know, yeah, Jamal Wilkes, Sidney Wicks walking by with, you know, these leather trench coats on. And I, Curtis I mean, Rowe. Was it Curtis Rowe? Rowe? Yeah. Uh, and, 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 he, and he leans over to his wife, Nell, and it's like, what, what did Sam Gilbert send us for Christmas that year? And it's like, leather bags. And, and, yeah. and he goes to his, you know, his AD, the, the, the athletic director at UCLA, and, and he says, John, you just worry about coaching. I'll worry about the rest. Uh, now, does that is that exculpatory? No, but uh, it's it, it it at the same time. I don't know. I think that's sort of the position. I'm I, I'm kind of soft on college coaches, which is not a popular position. I think that if the uh, if if their job was still, they would get paid fifty grand to coach basketball. I think they probably end up still coaching basketball. Like that's what they it's and but. They're in this system the where they... The problem is it would yeah. cost them 50 grand to get their backup point guard. Well, that's right. I mean. Like, there's so much money in the system, and, and there's so much money available so that, that they compromise themselves in all these ways. But part of me still really does believe that even the most... Whoever you think is the most corrupt college coach out there, the most, you know, who's got his hands in everyone's pocket and everyone's hands are in his pockets, nominees. too. Nominees. Do we have nominees? You know, whoever you... Yeah. Whoever you think it is... Coach K... Yeah. Ooh. Oh, look, at that, look at that roster. Uh, but, um, I wouldn't say it, didn't I? Or any of the new, because it's never them, right? Oh, we forgot Rick Pitino. Well, he's oh, a, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> strippers in the dorms. But yeah, I, part of me, I, you know, I, this may be very naive, but I, I do kind of believe that, like, if they were just pulling a salary and the game around them was clean, they're still going to be coaching basketball. So what about the and one of the another great part of the book is you talk you used to ask people for the greatest memories. What game and I know I'm putting you on the spot here, can you think about it for a second or two? What game or what moment do you remember? And in fact I'll start maybe to give you going, would be two thousand, game seven, Western Conference Finals. You guys remember that? 
That was that was when the whole era. They were down 14 points at the start. Of, they were down 15 points at the start of the fourth quarter, and they came back and beat the Blazers. And that was if that game doesn't happen, Kobe and Shaq don't happen, Phil Jackson doesn't happen, the Lakers don't happen. Uh, and that changed everything, you know. And of course, they had the great, the great alley oop from Kobe to Shaq to finish that off. And you could tell I was sitting there, and I had Jay Adande, who's a young columnist, to my left, Mark Heisler, an older columnist to my right, and you could tell their ages and their experience when, when Kobe threw the ball and Shaq dunked it. Adande jumped in, into my lap, literally jumped in my lap, while Heisler, who knew then that they win, this, by winning the game, we had two more weeks of work. Heisler carried his hand. So two different experiences. But yeah, that so that moment, I'll never, ever forget that moment. What, what about you, Jackie, Matt? Or do you want to go first, Ray, if you have one? I, I, have, a, no, I have a ton of them, but one of them is nothing to do with Boston, and I was there game five, when Jordan hit that jump shot over Craig Neal. Oh, wow. And he jumped up, and he, and I was like, wow, this dude is special. That was the start of it. That was the start of it. And I can remember that, because Craig Neal was You were there. Yeah, I was there, yeah. God, I was everywhere, whether I wanted to be or not. So that was one of them. I mean, um, I was the 38th man in for the Globe at the 86 finals. And I was there when, when Irvin did the junior, junior hook which is still one of the greatest plays I've ever seen over the greatest front line in basketball history, over Bird, Harrison, McHale. And the thing that people forget that I remember very well at the end of that game was they gave Larry Bird an open look from the corner. And he, do you guys remember this? Some of you, you're probably too young, but up it went, it hit the back rim, it was dead on, and it came out. And he, Bird always said much later that he looked at Riley like on the way out like, I can't believe you gave me that shot. And Raleigh would say later, I can't believe you missed it. Wow, <laughs> so that's, that's what a story. Yeah. So. Is this a game that I was at in person? Anything, anything. Any, any great, any great basketball, out? part of this love story is that wherever you remember it, wherever it, you're touched by it. Sure. All right, so one that the, the, I think the the game that sticks out to me, I don't know which game, which, which one do I want it to be? Um, either game six or seven of that 2013 finals. With the Spurs, I mean, either 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 the the famous you know either the famous Ray Allen game in Game Six, um, where yeah I know, um, or or he, but that was great in the book because they talk about how his heel was up yeah. when he took that shot. If his heel is down, he's out of bounds. That shot doesn't count. He had the presence of mind as who was the famous Southern football. Fred Boys, he had the presence of mind to keep it. <laughs> wow. And the, uh, I mean, Shaq has, that's one of my favorite quotes in the entire book, professional Hoosiers, Hoosiers. for the Spurs. It was just hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the last thing, and then we'll take some questions. Where's the greatest place you've ever watched basketball? Is it a playground? Is it a backyard? Is it, where's the greatest place you've seen a rim? in a backboard and somebody playing. Well, so this isn't quite that, but when I used to cover college basketball a zillion years ago, and they sent me down to do Louisville, Louisville versus Kentucky, because that, oh, that, yeah. that had been, that rival had been dead for a while, so I, w I went down to Lexington, Kentucky, and it's the first, and I'm gonna say only time that I was in an arena that the whole building shook. Like, it shook, it was moving. I was mildly concerned for my life. <laughs> wow. So that was, and I had no dog in that fight. It was just a great game. How about you, Rafe? 
All right, so this is a little bit of mix of the last question and, 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 the, and the current one. Um, and it actually also is, what, 2013, but it, it was in Manila. Um, the Philippines hosted the, what's the FIBA Asia Championships, which is a qualifying tournament for, the, uh, for the, what was going to be the next year's uh, World Cup or, or World Championships. And it was their first real chance to, to qualify for this in over, in almost 30 years. And they were, they, it was the semifinals, they're playing Korea, which is a, a country that has a history of just beating them in the most heartbreaking ways. It's like the, the team that always, just always, it's, it, it's, it's ugly. Like the and, used to lose the Red Sox. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's that kind of thing. And used to. that game, <laughs> in that game, uh, you know, the, 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 the foreign big man playing for the Philippines, and that, the, the pre-Andre Blatch naturalized uh, Filipino center, who is Marcus Douthit uh, for my St. You John's You had to find him mention Andre Blatch here, right? You just, just had to, couldn't help yourself, could you? Uh, Smush Parker and Andre Blatch. All the, all the greats. Uh, you yeah, got to buy this uh, book. <laughs> and, and Kenny. And Kenny. You, you had great contributions, Ray. This is just tremendous. Um, they are... They, so so Dalvin gets injured in the first quarter, and they they have to play you know all all local all what they call all Filipino, um, and it was just the, you know the the they end up winning and there's this great back and forth sequence to win the game. It's the first time they sort of slayed the the Korean boogeyman in in 15 years, and the entire arena because it was a home crowd just lost it, knowing that this meant that they're going, that, that, you know, a local team is going to go play in the World Championships and end up playing against Manu Ginobili, end up playing against Giannis, who was already playing for Greece that year, end up playing against Croatia and, and, and all of these giants of the international game. Uh, it, was, it was this great moment of validation that like everyone in, everyone in the country understands that basketball, what basketball means there and, how, and the, the, the love that they've had for it for, for generations and to get a chance to go be a part of the, the highest level of it in an international competition uh, for the first time in a very long time was, it just meant the world to, and it was, it, it, yeah, it was amazing to be there. That's, that's so cool. I'll, I'll finish with my favorite place was Gersten Pavilion at Loyola Marymount University. It's, that's the, the gym where the tragedy happened. Hank Gathers died during the Western Conference uh, semifinals. And so I was watching a game there one time, and the game ended, and I finished my story, and a, and a maintenance guy comes up to me and said, and he grew some says, here, I want you to come here. And he took me back into the showers. Everybody had drawn in. And he said, every night, I th the water goes on and off. The lights go on and off. He goes, he's still here. Hank wow. is still here. So I did a whole story about the gym being, wow. his presence is still Bo there. Bo Campbell, left-handed, right? Bo, Bo Campbell's not left-handed, free throw against Michigan. All right, well, all right, we'll take questions for Rafe, Jackie, or Kenny. You can ask Kenny a question <laughs> if, if you're interested in his, in his exploits. He's, he's all Okay, the, all right, so any, any, any questions for these two tremendous authors? And in a book that it hopefully is, has encouraged you and this is not what it's for, but to buy the book. The book is just incredible, just absolutely incredible. You can just feel like, yes, sir. Hi, I was just wondering, um, in the years that you've covered basketball, have you noticed like a shift in the way that the country has received the game, especially against the other major sports? Has there been like a cultural shift 
question, actually. Cult couldn't hear. Cultural shifts in the game in this country. And you know, one of the chapters that we have is what the Dream Team did to the rest of the world and how it opened the eyes to all these international players about the game and how it made them fall in love with the game and made them take their country and make it more important to the game. Uh, the only one that didn't buy into that was Yao Ming. Everybody, because I guess maybe they didn't show the games in China. But, uh, but when I, I went to China uh, to do a game on the Shanghai Sharks, it was the first year that Yao was in the NBA, and uh, there were posters of Allen Iverson everywhere. Allen Iverson was a god in China. Now it's Shaq. Shaq's got a statue in China. Yes, a really big. I did a video with it. I did a video in front of it. Very big statue in China. Well, now you're from. You got a Syracuse, Syracuse jacket on. You know this dude. Dude up here is ripping Bayhom for cheating. You know that, right? Okay. All right. All right. Any, any more? Any more uh, questions? Feel free. These guys have great stories. Yes. Ramona Shelburne. The famous Ramona Shelburne is here. Come on, take a bow. Come on, take a bow. Come on, take a bow. No, okay, so my question is, you guys are, in writing this book, who is not, who doesn't live up to their public persona? Who has maybe changed the most since, uh, since you've known them as a player? For, uh, judgment. Either way, whichever one, like, who surprised you, really? I can tell you who mine was, it was... So I covered Wayne Embry oh, for many, many years, and Wayne, for those who don't know, Wayne Embry was the first black executive in the history of sports, not just basketball, in the history of sports, the first black general manager in any of the major sports. He was a big bear of a guy, played for the Celtics, played with Oscar Robertson, the Milwaukee Bucks, great player, um, Hall of Famer, and uh, when he was the coach of the, the, the GM, and I was a young uh, writer, he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he would always take my call, and he would just never tell me anything. <laughs> and I would say to him, but Wayne, and he'd say, well, you know, I can't tell you that, Jackie. You have a nice day. And he'd say, oh, man. And so I always wondered, what was Wayne Embry thinking? And boy, we really find out in this book what Wayne Embry was thinking. And he, he's a man of great depth and great uh, intelligence. And one of the, the most heartbreaking stories for me was he got traded to the Celtics. He was Bill Russell's backup, and he was getting ready play the, the six, the, the, actually not even the Warriors. Would it have been the Warriors, the Philadelphia Warriors? Philadelphia, they're playing Philadelphia anyway. Game seven, he's getting ready. He's got his head down there in Philadelphia. He's getting himself ready to play the game. And some guy comes out of the stands and throws a banana at him and says, have a, have a good game, you big eight. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? And man, I just, that story broke my heart. So, that's my answer. Um, I think um, some of the, I, some of the, the, the coaches who are, you know, further along in their careers, still active, but um, kind of on the way out and, and ha are now, I don't know, are, are known for the, their mistakes in recent years more than, than like, you know, than, than the stuff they did earlier in their career. I'm thinking like Larry Brown, right? Uh, we think of now the, the book on Larry Brown is, yeah, he'll come in, wear out your team and then, and then leave before... You'd you know leave you with a with a big yeah well <laughs> Larry Larry will try and trade everyone and then and then he'll leave Doug Collins will will, will wear him down into a pulp and then he'll leave um, but the you know 
really getting to go back and hear him talk about all the steps of his career and remind, you know, just get those reminders and, and, and with, with some meat on the bone, with the details, the stories of, of coaching Kansas to a title, of coaching, you know. And coaching and, you know, and playing and coaching in the ABA and winning titles there and, and, and all the way through to his NBA career. I mean, that, that just sort of the, the, the breadth of some of the, the, the lifers, you know, and, and when you when you have to read through 250 pages of their, their interview transcript. Right? Yeah, John Thompson John as Thompson well. John Thompson was amazing. Um, amazing. Was there anybody you didn't get for the book yeah. that you wanted to get? Well, a lot. Greg Popovich. Pops, I, I thought I saw him in there. He's not in there? Because I was looking for all the hard, right. hard to get people. No, Pop just didn't. Really? He not just... talk about himself. And then, I, I hope, you know, I wish he had because I think he belongs in the book. He's in the film, again, because we have footage of him. And he's certainly mentioned in the book. He certainly gets his due in the book. But yeah. uh, he, he didn't participate. And Jordan's, you know, got his own, like so many of these guys, he's got his own documentary that he's working on right now. So you turn, yeah, so, so no one, no for either one of them. I didn't realize Jordan was, but he's all over the Well, he's so though. all over it because we got everybody else. David Falk, Phil Jackson, Scotty Kippen. Um, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. You know, we got everybody else. Mom Rashad, who actually quoted Michael Jordan in the book, saying, Mom Rashad, I'm like, wait a minute. Why are we interviewing him? Now I know. <laughs> he was awesome. He was awesome in this book. Because he's Michael Jordan's best friend. And the, he, he said he was standing with Michael Jordan, and someone said, come on, Michael, tell the truth. Who's better, Kobe or LeBron? And he looked right at him and said, Kevin Durant. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, he, he also just tells the great story of Jordan to, like vowing never to play doubles tennis with him again after he lost. Yeah. Mon Rashad, who would have known? No, they're really tight. He's, he's, he's huge. Tight. All right, yes, sir. Uh, question about the women's game. One of the people on the cover is Cheryl Miller. Should have been the greatest player of all time. Yeah, what's, yeah. Your, like, what's kind of your thought in seeing the way the women's game has right. evolved in someone who was just so impressive, dominant, that kind of, for a lot of people, probably the first time they knew Cheryl Miller. 105 points. Right. Right. So I covered I covered my one and only women's final four that I ever covered was Cheryl Miller's freshman year in Norfolk, Virginia, when she just dominated the game and won the national championship. And uh, she's hilarious in this book, hilarious. Talks about um, Pat Summit and how she decided if they beat Tennessee, she would do a cartwheel at center court and then did that. And if you guys know, follow Pat Summit, you know that wasn't going to sit very well. She conveniently forgot she was going to play for Pat Summit that summer on the U.S. team. And, uh, and there's some great back and forth with Cheryl there. And uh, just stories about playing with her brothers. And, uh, you know, Reggie was a skinny younger brother that she used to just beat the tar up. So he would stand behind the family bush and shoot three-pointers because she couldn't reach him, you know. But she really was... She could have been the greatest player that ever lived, but she had terrible knee problems that today, unfortunately, would have been something you could have fixed, and she would have been back in 10 months. Diana Taurasi, greatest women's player? Uh, in my mind, yes. Yeah, in my mind. She's what about Annie Myers? Annie Myers is great, but Diana, yeah, she's a whole different era. Yeah. yeah. She's going to do it either. All right, I'm just sticking up. Yeah, no, I get it. I love Annie, too. And Nancy Lieberman, are you kidding me? Yeah. Nancy yeah. Lieberman. She's hurting. Yes. And, and Candace Parker, I mean, <laughs> you know, we can go on all day. Yes, sir. Yeah, I love the section of where the wool becomes flat. Right. Where you interview like a bunch of uh, you know, foreign players. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, like, who you thought was the most influential uh, international player or when did it change, kind of, or if you can get you know, international players to the NBA? And um, yeah. there was some great ones.
play at like at what an all-star level right before he died. Yeah, um, I mean, and, and there's the book focuses a bit on Sarunas Marshallonis is kind of the first, the first, you know, the first guard who came in with with Volkov from the USSR team to and, and to, to really who really smashed all the the foreign soft player stereotypes because I mean what in the Bay they, I remember. I think they call it, people call him a human karate chop at the time, right? I mean, he was, he was just a cement truck. Yeah. Um, Volkov was a chain smoker, by the way. And <laughs> not perpetuating, not, not, not schmatzing those uh, uh, European it, it, You know, it might have been Sabonis had he gotten the opportunity to come here earlier. Right. Um, but at the same time, it, it, that almost adds to his mystique, right? Because he arrives here much later, really at the very tail end of his career, uh, but was still able to be such an important part still, of those. Still on the gold medal. Right. Well, yeah. And, and and when he comes to the NBA, he's still such an important part of those Trailblazer teams, and and still dazzles people with the amount of skill he right. had. Great and then when you when you put that together with the stories of him in the in '85 and '86 before his his Achilles and knee injuries, that he was you know, pinning shots on the back, on, on, the, on the backboard and then beating the, everyone else down the other way for a dunk, you know, that, that, that someone actually existed with that much skill and athleticism in a seven foot three. He was, he was Bill Walton before Bill Walton was Bill Walton. Um, that, that may, he, he may have been, you know, uh, the, the transformative international player that we, uh, we never really got to witness, but it also, you know, that, that the the, apro the apocryphal side of it that now it just lives on in all these the, the people who were awed by playing against him or seeing him one time that that's almost bigger than than him having made it here to, to, to play earlier in his career. All right, yes, sir. Um, a lot of the writers in this room sort of shape the culture around basketball because we want to go to Twitter and read the stories about what's happening in locker rooms and things like that. I mean, even just last night with Katie and Draymond. So when you guys get these stories. And you have to decide whether you put it out or keep it and save your source. Because do, how do you decide that? Do you ever feel like if you like tell a story, you're burning a source, like then that player won't talk to you again if you tell that story? And well, sure. How, and like, how do you well, sure. make that decision? Of like, this is a story that's worth it. I might burn my source. Well, sometimes it's a story that impacts the game or another person, and you don't have a choice, in my opinion. The truth is the truth, and sometimes when it affects the game, the outcome of the game, or the, the narrative of what's happening, you, I don't feel you have a choice, and it will cost you. I mean, that's why LeBron doesn't talk to me, <laughs> in part. But, but I think there are times when you get an insight or something from a player, and I mean, the best example I can give you is Kevin Love um, at the All-Star Game. Uh, I was asking about mental health. I knew he had some issues. We had all been hearing it, hearing it, and then all of a sudden I'm behind the curtain with him, and he's pouring out all this stuff, and then all of a sudden realizes, I'm not ready, I'm not ready. So we make the decision, well, we're going to give him time. Mm -hmm. Because that's a personal, very personal thing. And then, you know, our patients, I would like to think, was rewarded with the access we've had with him since and the mental health series that we ran that I think was pretty revealing. And um, so sometimes, but, but I don't think, what, so like, I, people always say to me, like, so Larry Bird got in a fight way back in the 80s. And he was in a bar fight. And we found out about it. So is it relevant? Well, it was, because you hurt his hand. So now it's relevant, and you know, I don't care if you love Larry Bird and he loves you, you heard his hand punching a guy in a bar. And that's a story, and that's a story they can't wait. Uh, yeah, I'd always tell people, if it affects you on the field, if, if you take it into the locker room, if you take it onto the court, right. then it's, it's, it's my, that's very good. But I, now I've seen players get in fights with their wives 
in the parking lot, screaming matches with their wives in the parking lot. Nothing physical, just yelling at each other. Arguments, arguments with teammates in the parking lot. Sure. As long as you don't bring it inside, you know, it's, it's, it's your business. But, and I think Jackie, about some of the best stuff we ever have is stuff we haven't written. All the best stuff. All the best stuff. Someday. Yeah. Next book. <laughs> Kenny's book, yeah, that'll be Kenny's book. That's Tolton. That's a great question. Any other questions? Yes, sir. If there's, is there something that you could change or go back to or add to the game that would make you love it even more? Youth and pros, globally? Well, I'd eliminate AAU tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. because <laughs> I think it's really damaged the game because it's taught kids bad habits. You, I mean, my daughter played AAU, and we went, we, we, I was, you know, we were playing four games in a weekend, and I'm watching her, and I'm thinking, her body's still developing. She should not be playing in these games. And we, we ended up starting our own AAU program um, because we also had mostly kids that were never going to play beyond high school. So what is the goal of these kids playing AAU? I mean, in our case, right? My daughter got to play in a little Division three school, but um, like only one of her teammates also went on to play. So what we decided was let's make an AAU program. We can compete in local tournaments, but we, we can have a gym. You, we're going to practice from 6 to 8, but you're going to come with your homework. If you're not done with your homework, you're going you're gonna to do your homework in the gym until you're done, and then you're going to join us. And this is all Pollyanna, I realize. But to me, I mean, when did we lose sight of, like, why are we sending eight-year-olds to Pennsylvania to play six games? That just can't be good. You cannot convince me that's good. So that'd be my answer. Great. Coach, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, coach, is that is that your coach? No, no. It's a, he is is a coach. Um, what do you coach? So how do you feel about your kids in AAU? Like, what, you have no control over that. That was the answer that I. There you go. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're talking about sort of recently or in the, you know, something of the modern era. Um, you know, the if, if, if the basket, the NCAA and the basketball world can ever get its act together to, to figure out how to, uh, you know, let player college players make some sort of money off of their off of the money that they generate for that, and, and also to sort of get like all the kind of the bullshit that agents and shoe companies uh, insert into that by, by, you know, putting all, adding even more money under the table for everyone. Now, on some level, I guess it's good because at least the players get, sometimes get a piece of that, but it also, you know, it just, it just, it, it, it messes with careers, it, it just distorts everything, and, and um, you know, it's something that, that, the NCA would not, I don't think, can solve on its own, it, and um, but they sure should try a little harder. Um, and you know, I think it's it's been convenient as well for the NBA to just sort of be like, hey, you know, we got our rule, and you guys work around it. You know, we we, we you know we we still don't want to have to draft players out of high school. Um, so uh, I, I'm hopeful that that somehow that that situation gets better. Yeah, the one and dones are killing. They kill college basketball. There's just no. All right, we'll take one last question. Anybody have a question? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm sure these guys talk about this for a while, but I just, um, I love the game so much, and I love writing so much. I'm just curious. I always, you know, I related to that story when you were talking about being out in the, you know, the playground and just like, you know, the commentary and everything. But when did the three of you guys, including you, when did you guys realize this is what I want to do? I want to write about something. 
sure. For uh, it, I fell into it a little bit. I mean, I, I for me, I always expected that I would just, you know, I I, I was gonna continue playing basketball. I was always gonna like I, I I similar to you know us up here and probably a lot of other people in the room. I don't feel right if I am not like you know if I don't get some shots up a few times a week. Um, so, I, but I, I was also comfortable with that just being it. You know, I went to, I did go to journalism school, but I didn't really focus in sports. I didn't cover any of the, the, the college teams. Um, I didn't even know that I was gonna pursue, you know, writing or journalism uh, professionally, but I, it really was the opportunity to go to the Philippines straight after college, and then all of a sudden have this opportunity to uh, learn, you know, like use something that I had been doing my entire life in basketball to learn uh, so much, I have a whole new world opened up to me through the generosity of so many people I met over the years, and it continues to this day, um, that that I all of a sudden stumbled into something I wanted to write a book about and was fortunate enough to do it, and that sort of put me down the path, um, and I'm really happy it did. Jackie? So I was in um, high school, and I played it at Westwood High School, Westwood Home of the Champions. It's a joke, uh, but anyway, we we just never lost a game like ever. Like for 17 years, we didn't lose a league game, and the, the teams were just great. And never read about them ever. It was always about the boys, always about the boys. And I used to stomp around my house and say, "This is just ridiculous, Dad. I can't believe you." And he said, "Well, why don't you just call the paper?" I'm like, "I will tomorrow." He's like, "Yeah, you're gonna do it now," and I'm like. He's like, I'm so tired of listening to you, so call him. So he stood there, and of course I lost all my nerve, and I said, well, I'm just really wondering why you never write about the girls. He said, well, we're a small weekly paper. I don't have anybody. You want to do it? I said, I'm like, I'm 13. I'm like, your age. And he's like, yeah, if it stinks, I won't print it. So I started writing longhand about all my friends that played sports, all girls, girls only, no offense, guys, girls only. And I would pass them into the office, and they put it in the paper. It just looks great. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, this is awesome. So uh, I knew what I wanted to do when I was 13 years old. I've got it. It's about the same age for me. I, I stuttered real bad. I stuttered a little bit, but I stuttered real bad as a kid. So writing was the only way I could really communicate with people. And my freshman year in high school, I'm, I'm at a basketball game, and everybody starts chanting. I went to Ballard High in rural Kentucky, a big basketball school. And everybody started chanting, we want Earl, we want Earl. And I wonder who's Earl. Earl's the last guy on the bench. And everybody's cheering for him. You know, this happens in every game. And he, he gets in at the end of the game. And I thought, this would be interesting. So I go met, met Earl, talked to him, wrote a story about him for the high school pay, newspaper. But I can't, again, I couldn't type. I didn't know how to type. So my mom typed the story for me. I wrote it longhand. My mom typed it for me. I turned it in. And like a week later, the school paper comes out. And people are suddenly talking to me. And they're saying, boy, you made me laugh. You made me cry. You made me think. And I thought, my God, what power we have to affect change by just our heads and our and our hearts and our and our fingers on a tennis keyboard. So that's how I became a sports writer. Well anyway, this is a wonderful book. This is a truly a love story. It comes oozes through every page of it. I encourage you if you don't have one to get one. And uh, this gentleman here is going to tell you about what what's well, next. But anyway can we just please give Bill a hand You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.